Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Reggae Lover Podcast. Welcome to the Reggae Lover Podcast once again. This is Khalil Wanda from Highlander Sound, and I'm joined by Agard. What up, what up? Thank you so much for listening. Yo, today we have the privilege of being joined by a special guest who goes back at least 20 years history in the sound business and we're going to get into a, a sound system and reggae music conversation we have the privilege of being joined by father jinx from king ap jinx king ap one of the pillars of atlanta dance hall kind of give our listeners a brief history okay um let's see man uh so to take it all the way back there um the sound actually started at georgia tech I got there, started like basically 95-ish. As a freshman, I had already kind of developed an interest in sound business when I was in high school. You know, I grew up in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. So, you know, just growing up and you, you know, Waikiki was like the big sound system at the time. And in that time, we still had cassette tapes. So I used to be into like getting the latest Stone Love, Bass Odyssey, Super Deep, Bodyguard, all those tapes from Jamaica. So, you know, I just developed this um desire basically or this interest in sound business because I thought for myself like I remember thinking it's the coolest thing you know to be able to not only go and buy these little records and stuff like that the 45s and the 12 inches but also when I got introduced to the whole idea of dub place I was like wow you know you could actually like go and meet these artists yourself and pay them to customize a song for you and you kind of get to hang out with them there really isn't any other music genre that I could think of where the DJs have that kind of access to the artists so easily or so readily. Cause you know, back in those times, you know, these artists like from Bounty Killer, Butcher, Beanie Man, like they used to hang out at the dub studios. So, you know, if you just knew where the dub studios were and you knew where to go, you could just pull up and on any given day, like you'll see like your favorite artists, they'll just be there like regular people, you know, smoking weed or drinking or doing whatever. So once I kind of learned about that, you know, I just fell in love with it. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. But then I ended up moving to Atlanta for college 
And then when I got to college, I linked up with um, a couple other guys, um, Father Flam, Soy, Andre, DJ Enchanted. I think it was just us at the beginning. And, you know, um, Flam had some records and Soy had like an amp and the next one had like a one that could speak up box. So we just kind of put together and, you know, started like pulling our resources and started doing little college parties and stuff like that. But it wasn't until probably like... 95 96 that we came up with the name king apocalypse or king ap for short and it was 1997 january 1st and 2nd i remember it was new year's eve new year's day it fell on a saturday that's when we got our first date like official like club date like a real date at the royal peacock downtown atlanta so i kind of i kind of marked that as what we actually first got our start because now it's like you know our name is on the fly so it's like official now <laughs> you know what i mean so that's kind of 1997, January is when I kind of say when we really officially kind of put the sound on the road. And from there, it's just been, you know, just been trying to do the thing ever since. So so that means you you, you started cutting dubs pretty early then because uh, I know I came down to Atlanta um, in around 98. And I know you guys had already had the radio show. Yeah, we had the radio show actually before we even had the sound name, I think, because... Oh, okay. Yeah, because Dre, um, that's DJ Enchanted, he actually when we were still freshmen before we even really had a lot of records or anything, he was like, I'm going to, you know, go through the little process to get the radio show. So I think we got that when we were sophomores. So that was probably like 95 going into 96. So wow, okay. we're doing that. I don't even think we had a sound name yet. You know, we were still just kind of buying records and still trying to, cause you know, I don't want to, I don't know how much time I have, but just to kind of, I want to make this point though. It's like, yeah, you guys understand this, but definitely for your listeners out there, like, it was a lot different then than it is now. Like now, if somebody wants to be a DJ, you go and you just download somebody's hard drive or you just somebody just gives you a copy of their music and you get a whole library of everything in a couple of hours. But back then, you know, if you wanted to be a DJ, like it took time. So if I decide today I want to be a DJ, like I would have to literally go out, buy all these records. And of course, you know, there were, these were like final records that were being printed. So if something was old, it was out of print. So that means that you had to go, you had to find the older records and, you know, you had to go beg people for songs and you had to go to record stores and you had to dig in the crates. That's where that term came from. So it's like, it took basically like about a year and a half or two years of us buying records, keeping up with the new music, but also buying enough old music to feel comfortable enough to say, all right, now we have enough song where we can go in somebody's club and stand up besides other people and play all night. You know what I mean? So it was it was a process. You know, it wasn't overnight. You know, it took a lot of effort, a lot of money, you know, and it took time, you know, because you can have all the money in the world, but it just takes time to find those old records, especially if you don't inherit them from an uncle or your father or somebody that used to play music but put it down or something like that. You know what I mean? So that process yeah. took some time. So it really took us from 95-ish to the beginning of 97 when we finally felt like okay now we have enough music that we can kind of go and stand up and play beside somebody and if they put out all the new songs we still have something left that we could play you know what i mean and that kind of stuff so yeah so that that brings to mind something else because i know from what i remember when when you guys used to play out I, I remember when you used to mix i used to appreciate you know what i'm saying your technique so I'm, I'm i'm assuming that you picked up on mixing pretty early too yeah um yeah, so to answer your first question, like the first dub plate we ever got, it was Sean Paul. It was the winter of 96. So I got that when he went home for Christmas break. He just happened to be hanging around some people that was hanging around with Sean Paul. This is like right before he really busts with that song called uh, Baby Girl. That song that just came out. It was running Jamaica hard. 
So yeah. I remember he like called me at my mom's crib in Florida. Was like, "Yo, dog, you're from West Side, you and you're like a Bills." And I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Dog, I'm partnering with Sean Paul. You know the man was singing, right? you know what I mean?" So that's how we got our first dub play. But yeah, as far as like the mixing and stuff, it's the same thing. It's like in the process of collecting music, you're practicing. You know what I mean? So it's like in those months and you know all that time before we really started to play out. Like I used to practice all the time. You know, I have a little turntable set up in the house with one speaker and stuff. So, you know, everybody used to come through, we used to practice. What I used to do is I used to listen to Waggy T tapes. So I used to like, like listen to how he might juggle, say like the pepper seed rhythm. I remember teaching myself how to juggle off of that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to mix these songs. I'm going to record it. I'm going to play it back and see if it sounds like how it sounds when Waggy T mixes it. And that's how I kind of taught myself, okay, well, this is how you're supposed to mix you know what I mean? So it was, but you know, okay. it was a process though. Um, I didn't know anybody in Atlanta, so I didn't really have anybody to teach me because when I moved here, you know, I didn't really have any family or anything like that. But, you know, I had to catch it then. So I used to just kind of listen and it's the same thing though. It's like, because I was still collecting music, like before I got thrown into the limelight or was able to even go in the limelight to go play in front of people, I had all that time to practice with the music that I had. So it helped me to learn the music that I had, you know, and kind of helped me to develop like mixing skills and stuff like that so okay cool man so i remember the so the radio show that was a college station correct yeah it was georgia tech's um wrek 91.1 mm-hmm. yeah because i know we we spoke to cross a couple weeks ago yeah. from unity sound i think he was on the next college radio station yeah. right? or was it this it wasn't the same station Nah, he was at georgia state because he went to georgia state so he was on 88.5 and he started a little after us because he came to atlanta after we did and then you had Glenn Simmons that was on um, Clark's radio station. I think he had a Saturday show. Yeah, because, you know, he was here from before we even came. And then Jason Skywalker from Changes, he had his show that was on WRFG. And that was on Fridays, even back then. I think it was like in the afternoon. They played 15 minutes of reggae every hour. It was like world music. So he did that. So that was, you know, those, those four avenues were basically... The, the avenues on FM radio where we had like the outlet for reggae music, that's all music back then. Yeah, man. You know, we kind of started with that core group and then um, I want to say it was maybe 97, um, no, probably 98 is when Isaac joined the sound because he started as a freshman at Georgia Tech. So, you know, once I met him, you know, he kind of started hanging around because, you know, there really wasn't a lot of black people at Georgia Tech, much less black Caribbean people. So as somebody that's West Indian kind of reaches the campus, they just kind of fall in. So once he kind of saw that, you know, we had the sound system going, like, you know, his pops used to have a sound. He had a whole bunch of records and stuff. So he just kind of fell in with the team. So at that point, you know, he became like our MC. And, you know, I was like the main mixing person and stuff like that. And then, you know, Dre used to deal with hip hop and, and whatnot. So that was like the team that we used to kind of roll with. So, yeah, once we kind of started doing that, and then, you know, I got to mention this person's name. I got to mention Mark Stewart. You know, we met Mark. Or I met Mark because Mark used to yeah. cut hair at the AUC. You know, so I used to hang out at the AUC all the time because what a college kid didn't. That's where all the girls were, right? So, you know, we used to, oh, then, you know, I met Mark. And at, right around that time, Mark was just starting to get into promotion. And, you know, Precise was doing his thing as far as with promotion, of course. That's your family. So, you know, hanging out at the AUC and networking, you know, people was like, oh, okay, you guys got the radio show. You guys play music and stuff like that. I'm trying to do this part. I'm trying to do that part. I'm trying to bring this artist that's how we ended up kind of getting that break and we started opening for like a lot of the acts when they came to town we started doing some of the um 
precise parties, those um all those things called tri-state parties. Tri-state parties, yeah. We started doing a couple of those and you know, those are huge. So all of that stuff really kinda um helped us to kind of get that notoriety. And of course with that, you know, me just being like my vision was always to build like a sound system with like a holy but to play. Like honestly speaking, like I never really set out to be a DJ. You know, I always wanted to be like a selector, like Rory and Squinchy and, you know, Trooper and, 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 and Demma, you know what I mean? So even while we were still like doing a lot of parties and all that, like I was still, every time I go back home to Miami, like I would just be in the studio with my little leftover student loan money <laughs> trying to get, you know, whatever little dub play from whatever little artist that I saw. So I used to be cutting a little one song and two songs all the time. And I wasn't cutting like the hype stuff. You know, I was into like foundation, so I was cutting like Sugar Binder, and I was cutting Luciano, and I'm cutting singers. And people are like, "Why are you cutting this stuff?" Like, you know, but why aren't you cutting like Elephant Man? And but you know, that was always my thing. It's like I wanted to be kind of on that hardcore, you know, that level. You know, I always wanted to like have a clash sound and all this. You know, that's before I realized how expensive it was. <laughs> but you know, I, that was my dream. So I'm like, you know, I'm gonna go in and you know build a foundation and cut one for one something. You know what I mean? So that's how we kind of started cutting and then having a radio show helped a lot because eventually our radio show got so popular that especially with the link with mark is that you know what everybody had to pass through everybody passed through because mark used to bring a lot of the artists so when he came i used to i used to reason with him you know kidnap them from the hotel take them to the studio you know and, and try to get songs you know and that was the thing you know that was just part of in the late 90s that was part of what being a DJ and the sound system culture was about, you know, it was like a whole, you know, that, that whole element of it is not really exactly the same in this day and age where you just, you know, you just WhatsApp a man, a man, email you, don't play it on, you know, back then it was a process, you know, you had to actually go and meet these artists face to face and reason with them and talk to them or go to the dub studios and, you know, you had to go through all that. And even after you recorded the song, you still had to go back and cut it to a physical dub place so you could play it. So it's like, everything just took a lot longer, you know? I mean, I remember having songs and just because I didn't have the money, like I might have songs for months that just sat on sat on that between like when I might have got into Atlanta until I got a chance to go back home to Miami on spring break or summer break to actually go and press it off the plate and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I mean, it was just a part of the culture. That's just what Soundman did. If you played regular music, you had to cut your one and a little two dope plays, even if it was just local artists. Like, you know, we had Ras Joe, we had Shooks, he's still around pick up shooks anywhere you know what i mean and, and, and um there's a lot of other people that used to live in atlanta at that time so that was another thing too you know they used to hang out at the little dub studios that we used to have so you know you just voice them and it was just you know that's just what we did so you know that's how we kind of got into that whole dub play cutting culture and trying to just keep that vibe of sound system alive because um i think back then too sound system there really wasn't a delineation between clashing sounds and juggling sounds like there are now, it was right. pretty competitive. So, you know, you had sounds like Supreme back then, you had like Godfather and you had um, Prophecy and all these sounds and stuff like that. You know, sometimes you play alongside them and they might throw one or two little words or say something slick on the mic and you had to, you were expected to be able to defend it. So you, you had to have at least a couple of dubs. <laughs> So if I'm right, like, call right. your name or something like that, you can't make your speech. I'd stand up and defend it. So that was kind of like still a thing because I think sound system still was coming out of that era from the live DJs where it kind of had that element of badness to it. You know, 
So you kind of had to, you know, I'm not saying that it was like violent or anything crazy like that, but at the same time, like in those days, you really couldn't be a punk and feel like you were going to play sound. You know what I mean? That's just, that's right. just how it was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the bottom line. It's like, it's a lot easier now, you know, for anybody to just pick up and say they want to be a DJ or a sound man back then. Like some of the people I see now, I'm like, you probably would have got robbed, bro. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't eat. Certain people couldn't play at Club Hollywood. Nah, certain <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't go in them places. So you couldn't do it. You could not do it. I, mean, yeah. I remember even when I first went back home to South Florida to play, and I got booked to play in a certain venue. I'm like, dog, I can't go there by myself. My car, certain man, for road with the car. You know, that's the garrison over there, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, nah, yeah. it's not like that at all. At least not in America, anyway. So. But yeah, it was just a different vibe then. So, I mean, that's kind of where that whole dub plate and the, the botanist and all that stuff was kind of still in it a little bit. It was still kind of coming out of that. So that's where feeling like you had to have those things and why that was important. That's where it all kind of really came from. Right. I, I like what you said about the radio show, too, because to me, it was kind of like a like I compared you guys to sort of like a Bobby Connor situation in New York. You know, anybody who came through New York had to go through his, his show. And anybody who came through Atlanta had to go through your show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I I, I got a quick question for you about them dubs, man. Sure. Right. <laughs> so, the, how did you get that super cat, man? Oh, man. I've told this story so many times, man. Yeah, but not to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, basically, what happened is um, super cat came for, he was, somebody brought him for a show in the atrium, which is a club on Memorial Drive there. Um yeah, it was pretty popular at that time. I mean, it's still popular now, but especially back then, people used to bring a lot of stage shows like Axe, like Butchu, Barris. Everybody used to pass through that then, right? So somebody brought Supercat for a show, so they brought him to the station for an interview. Now, at this time, shoot, you know, that Supercat is probably one of like the first like 10 or 20 dubs we ever got. So at that time, we had no idea that Supercat like did do dubs for people or it was like this big deal. I mean, like I knew it was a big deal to have a Supercat dub, I didn't realize it was because he just didn't do those for people. I just thought he was just like a hard artist to access because at this point he was already living in America. You know, he was in New York. So I just figured, well, he ain't in Jamaica. So that's why you don't really hear a lot of Jamaican sounds with him. But anyhow, so, right. so he comes and he does the interview. He's hanging out and stuff like that. So at the end of the interview, we put together, like we all pull our money and I think we had like two or 300 bucks or something, which was, you know, to college kids, that's a bag of money, right? So we're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna step the supercat with his three bills and we're gonna ask him for a song. So after the interview, he's hanging out in the little lobby or whatever, <clears throat> chilling out. And um basically, you know, I approach him and I'm like, yeah, you know, we wanna get a song, blah blah blah, you know, we got like three hundred dollars. <laughs> it seems I'm sorry I'm laughing at myself because it's like so silly to me, like really gonna go to this like international artist and put you look a small money on, but anyway, so you know, he laughed, of course, and he's like, bro, like, honestly speaking, like, first of all, that's not even like a lot of money. <laughs> and secondly, like, I don't do dubs for money. If I remember him, I remember him saying, he's like, if I did dub plays for money, I would be a rich man. He said, the only, I only give dub plays to people that I respect. Wow. That's what he said. We were like, oh, man, damn. Okay. Well, we just met you today, so, you know, well, can you like at least just give us some, some drops, some jingles or whatever? He's like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. So, you know, I remember he went into the little makeshift booth that we had. I mean, it was like a BS booth. It had like a mic and like this old turntable from like the 60s and, you know, some stuff in there. But I mean, you know, you could record to like, they did have a DAT machine in there and they had some like tape players and stuff. So we used to basically record in there. So while we were in there recording him, he was like, yo, give me a rhythm. 
So I remember just, you know, we ran out and um, we got the, I uh, had his vineyard party on 45, you know, the answer it was on the back. Right. And we went in there and on that little 1955 turntable, we put that answer in him on and he gave us a song. Yeah, that's a very unique dub plate though, man. Like I, I recently heard, cause I know, all right, so we, we kind of moving up in time here a little bit, but I recently heard the clash in Connecticut. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I forgot what's, 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 uh, what's, what's the selected name up in Connecticut, that's a, man? DJ Ace. Yeah, man. You know, he was he was taking it to them. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, when he played that Supercat, I was like, damn, yo. Like, I remember hearing that over the radio, and, you know, but it's different in a party, man. <laughs> it's different in a clash. It's just different, man. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, that dub is serious, man. You know, the thing that I realized, too, you know, even though now, like, you could, you know, like I said, times have changed. So now, if you got your five grand, you could get a Supercat now. Cause you must five grand. Yes, five <laughs> grand. I mean, it's not cheap, but if you really want one, you can you can purchase it now. But um, yeah. You know the thing about it is that back then, if you listen to everybody's, cause we got murdered that right. But if you listen to everybody's, like the intro, the intro is different. Like he basically would freestyle everybody's different. So bodyguard sounds a little bit different from Waggy T's. Sounds different from Jarro's. Sounds different from ours. So it was like, man, this is like a real special. Like this dude just really just off the top of his head, just started, just started DJing some lyrics and just went into it. Like we didn't know what that fool was about to sing, and then he just kind of. <laughs> You know, when it just we're gonna run it up, we was like, "Yo!" So, I mean, <laughs> and that's that's the beauty of it. It's the intro, man, because that's what I remember about the dub. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, my- so I alluded to the fact that you know there's a King AP, um, I guess in Connecticut, and I know you guys expanded. I know there's well, at least there used to be like a Florida contingent. I know there's there's Connecticut. What, what other um, places is, is King AP right now? Yeah, that's all we have right now. It's just um. <clears throat> The Connecticut branch, that's the main one. Like at the time we started in Atlanta, one of my best friends from high school that I started buying records with, he went to school in Tallahassee. So at the same time we were in Atlanta, he was in Tallahassee and he was doing the thing with King AP there. I used to go back and forth to Tallahassee a lot too, like at least once a month to do like the big parties and stuff like that. So basically while we were both in college, we were kind of operating like in Tallahassee and in Atlanta. But once he graduated from high school, I'm from high school, from college. He just basically kind of retired. He put it down. You know, he got a job, okay. got married and all that. So he just kind of let it go. Um, so it was just kind of the Atlanta branch then. And then on MySpace, I actually met the guys in Connecticut because they happened to have the same name. They were calling themselves Apocalypse, but they were like more on the soca scene. So basically, okay. you know, he reached out to us on MySpace like, hey, you know, we got the same name. You know, maybe we should talk, you know. Like maybe trade music. I'm, you know, I'm doing soca, but I'm trying to kind of branch into the reggae. And you know, it was like, all right, well, this kind of makes sense. You know, I went up to Connecticut one time. You know, literally like just off the strength of like this is my internet friend. I'm gonna go meet up, which is weird, right? But <laughs> that's what I did. You know, I just took, I just went up there, and it's like, you know, I'm out with them for the weekend. It was just like a real cool vibe. Yeah, just, you know, it was like an opportunity. I was like, you know, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, and Granny's from Guyana and stuff like that. So I was like, well, you know, we kind of want to get into Soka. You know, we were starting to get into it more. But it's like, this guy is actually already like established as a Soka person. So it's like, you know, we both kind of, us linking up really enhanced both of our, I guess, resumes because we kind of gave him that kind of hardcore dancehall edge that I think he needed because Hartford is a very, very, very like garrison like type yeah. of place. 
Definitely. And for us, you know, here, you know, soca, especially in Atlanta, like now, it's pretty popular. You know what I mean? So I think us bringing him on and him kind of, kind of showing us like a vibe. All right, well, this is, you know, the music and putting it together and stuff like that. Like he kind of helped us to grow in that aspect too. And then the other thing too is that, you know, he was intercutting a lot of soca dubs, you know, but he didn't really have any reggae links. We had all the reggae links and I was interested in cutting soca dubs, but I didn't have any soca links. So it's like, once we put it all together, it's like, man, like, you know, we're like one of the few sounds that could like really voice anybody. You know, for yeah, dance hall and soca right now, anybody from anybody outside of probably my shell, you know, soca wise, we, we got one dub plate now. And reggae wise, you know, pretty much everybody same way too. So it just really was a really good connect, man. So yeah, you know, definitely give thanks for that too. And speak up yourself, Carlston, the whole team up there, man. Any which part, you know. Yeah, we have a, a mutual friend in common, man, uh tracks from King Feli. Oh yeah, tracks. Yeah, he yeah, he was. Uh, he showed me a picture, man. You guys were up there Saturday. Yeah, man. And, and uh, we actually had uh, Walshie's uh, rum and bass party. Yeah, it was that Walshie night. looked at the Walshie looked at the picture and he was like, "Yo, what is it? Carnival out there?" He's like, "Nah, man. It's just a King AP fet." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, we do a juve up there um, in June and August, and it's, it's it, we've been doing it for like three years now, and it's crazy. This one was yeah, like man. the biggest one yet. So, you know, it's like. Yeah, you know, so we're kind of operating on those two fronts. Um, one of the guys in Connecticut has actually moved back to Tobago. So he's on the radio down there now. Although he doesn't really play out as much, he's on the radio every week. So, but really it's like Connecticut, you know, Hartford and Atlanta, we're definitely like very active. Like every week we're playing, we do parties, we do events and we're, you know, doing a lot of stuff, so. Word, so I remember, so earlier you alluded to the fact that you said you're not a DJ, you wanted to be a selector, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And I, I know the dub plate thing has always been, you know, a focus for you. And, you know, I've heard you, I've, I've heard you guys in a few clashes now, you know what I'm saying, including Connecticut and Atlanta. Right. You know, and and even I believe because we listen to Rumble Talk every now and then. Well, actually, every week. And uh, I know your name came up. I don't know if you heard that. Somebody but, uh, mentioned it to me that our name did come up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. So what it was is like a few people, you know, what I'm saying wanted wanted you to be in contention for the U.S. Rumble. So my question to you is uh, how important is Clash to you? And, you know, will, will you be taking more clashes in the future? Is Is that you know a big part of the sound right now yeah i mean to me i wouldn't say it's like a huge part of the sound but at the same time it's something that we're definitely open to and it's just because like i was saying earlier you know i come from that era where there really wasn't a delineation between clashing sounds and juggling sounds i kind of feel like sound is a sound of the sound is a sound so if you really call yourself a sound system in this business you really should be able to do it all from keeping parties to juggling events to you know also doing clashes if if somebody calls or they request it you know what i mean so we weren't you know when we first started out we used to do some clashes here and there you know we won some we lost some we won more than we lost you know what i mean but then it's like you know in atlanta that whole clash then kind of totally died off you know we were still like cutting here and there but it wasn't that serious you know atlanta's more of a party town anyway but then you know, once kind of once clashing in New York and other places kind of started to pick back up, and there was a level of interest in it, people started to ask us, and that's when I kind of decided, well, you know what? Like at the end of the day, you know, I'm not opposed to clashing, you know, because to me personally, like I don't really care if I win or I lose. You know, it's really all about the sport of it. You know what I mean? And, and I, I do like, I like 
cutting up plates. You know, I like making music in that way. You know what I mean? So a clash is like the best way to present your box. Like your dub box is really supposed to be the personality of your sound because everybody has the same records. And I mean, I know people juggle different and stuff like that. But, you know, when I think about the sound systems from back in the 90s, you know, Stone Love used to sound a certain way. You know, the dub plays sounded a certain way. The rhythms that they used were certain rhythms. Bass Odyssey had a sound. Jaro had a sound. You know, down to the down to even the artists they used to have. Like, you know, Jaro used to have Beanie Man and Sizzler, Anthony B. Luciana. And, you know, well, Stone Love was kind of like everybody. <laughs> so we'll take Stone Love yeah. out of the equation. And you know that Bass Odyssey was like a heavy butcher Bantan sound, a bounty sound. You know, at ease, bounty. You know what I mean? Before it was just like everybody, you know what I'm saying? Earth Ruler, you know, it's Bujo. LP, you know, LP is real heavy on the singers and the combinations. So it's like every sound kind of had an identity and their dub box used to kind of be like a way that they could kind of show that. So the best way to really display that is usually is really like in a clash. That's when you really kind of get to see the flavor of a sound. And it's like, you know, it's not so much that everybody's trying to race to play the same songs, but it's like, are my set of songs better than your set of songs? Just like back in the day, right. are my live artists better than your live artists? You know what I mean? That's that's how it used to be. So, no, nah, man, I mean, with the Clash thing, I mean, we're still definitely interested. We were saying to ourselves within the can, we want to try to do at least like one Clash a year. I mean, honestly, the main thing that is the main deterrent for us is just the expense because you know it costs a lot of money man those aren't cheap right you know what i mean so it's like and at the end of the day it's like as as grown men like the sound business has to put money in our pockets and take care of our livelihoods and our families and stuff first and then the dub play stuff comes after you know what i'm saying right you know other people or other sound systems might have you know they might have different pockets than i have you know frankly for by whatever means when they have a top or that but they might have more disposable income so they can go and spend a bag of money on the thousand dollar and the fifteen hundred dollar song. Like I'm not doing that unless I'm making a billion dollars off of off of music. You know what I mean? Once me and all the selectors are good, then we could talk about giving somebody a grand or fifteen hundred dollars for one song. But that's like one of the main things why we don't clash a lot. Because if I had it, I would clash all the time. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, I have to really look at it like, okay, if I have a clash or somebody wants to book a clash. I'm gonna probably have to spend like five to 10 grand on average to prepare for that clash. So once I do that, where is that money gonna come from? What is gonna be the benefit for us to be able to generate that money back? Is that gonna take away from whatever other little projects that we have going on? Like for example, like, you know, I'm building a sound system in Atlanta. We have a sound system with lighting and everything, trust work and all that in Connecticut. So I don't wanna take away money from things that are making us money to be clashing every month you know what i mean so it's like we have to really kind of evaluate it from a business decision and i think that that's something that um a lot of the sounds you see clashing maybe that's something they don't really have to worry about because a lot of the sounds that you hear clashing frankly they don't even really play out that much but they still have the money to you know cut songs all the time so wherever their money comes from you know that that's on them but for us we really have to kind of operate it in that business standpoint and um I think that's another reason why you don't see sounds like, um, say, like a bass odyssey or certain other sounds like that clash. Because for them, that's like their livelihood. Like, while everybody on King AP has a day job, you know, for a sound like bass odyssey, like, that is how they all eat. You know what I mean? So they really can't, although they cut songs all the time. Like, I've heard one of them say in an interview, like, you know, clashing is expensive. So we're going to charge 10 grand or 15 grand or 20 grand because 
we're going to spend a lot of that on dubs or most of it or probably all of it cutting dubs and we still have to maintain what we're doing so i think it's just you know like i said for us we really look at clashes as like it has to make sense business-wise you know um, for right. us to really do it. So that's kind of the only thing that kind of deters us from doing clashes like a lot. But it's definitely something that we still we do and we still kind of want to put our foot in and, you know, kind of keep at least fairly consistent, at least like one clash a year or so. We really want to try to do that as much as we can. So, Well, I'll admit I have a selfish reason for asking that question. Not, not only have I enjoyed the clashes you've been in, but look, I have an issue with there not being a standout sound from Atlanta right now in the class arena. I'm I'm gonna get a little political here, but you know, the default name (laughs) that always comes up when it comes to Atlanta is King Eternity. Yeah, yeah, I mean. You know what I mean? And yo, as far as I'm concerned, Highlander and King AP been in Atlanta before King Eternity. You know what I mean? Um, I remember when they, they came down and opened the club. You know, I'm not gonna talk too much on it, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, sounds like you, Cartel. Cartel, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I, would even, I would even put Capricorn in that because, you know, I, it, they're trying to say Capricorn is a Bronx sound, but we know. Nasheen. What's his name again? Not, not Well, Nasheen used to play on, um, what's the next youth that's on Stitchy. there right now? Stitchy. Yeah, Stitchy's on there. He's down in Atlanta. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I would even want to see a clash with all three of y'all. You know what I'm saying? Because... I don't know. I've been hearing a lot of these clashes coming out of Atlanta. I just heard the Daddy Axe versus what Delta Force and mm-hmm. you know clashes like that. And it seems like because I remember when Rico was doing that that series, it was a yeah, Road to Rumble set up, series. Yeah, to set it off, we were in that. Yes, yeah, man. And and to me, I'm like, yo, why why was why weren't you guys? You know, what I'm saying in US Rumble from then. You know, what I'm saying so. I have like a selfish reason for asking that question. You know, I I, I know I'm in New York right now, but I, I still got a piece of myself in Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you know, man. I mean, I I agree with you still. I mean, like I said, it's something that we kind of open to, and even when the whole set it off thing happened and stuff like that, like the reason why we even got in it is the same thing. It's like you know, we kind of felt like okay, as a foundation, Atlanta sound. You know, we kind of need to be one of the prominent sounds that do stuff like that because honestly speaking. To me, I think the problem with clashing in Atlanta and really just places in general, probably outside of New York, you know, really, I would just say in general, you know what I'm saying, probably in America, period, is that, I mean, I don't know, this is kind of going to take the interview down a, down a lane, and I mean, I'm just going to talk. Go ahead, man. Yeah, I'm going to talk plain, man. I mean, you know, if somebody listens and their feelings get hurt, I'm sorry, you know, but I'm going to just speak my mind. But to me, I feel like if you look at how clashes used to be in the 90s, you know, all of the sounds that used to clash was like relevant sounds, you know, like Bass Odyssey and Silverhawk and Jarlo and all these sounds that used to clash all the time. Like these are sounds that had like a fan base. They used to juggle out like every day of the week. You know what I mean? So like when this sound versus that sound used to clash, like the fans were behind it because they had like rivalries, but it's because these were like the hot song, song sounds that were right. on Even if you look at like the music that used to get played, like I remember like I used to listen to classes just to hear what the new songs were and look out for the 45s yep. and buy the 45s based on what I heard in classes because classes used Definitely. to be the outlet for the newest music it wasn't really about old music you would always hear the newest like cutting edge music from Buju, Long T, Capitan even down to singers like Luciano all of them it would always be like man 
man, I just heard them play. It's me again, John, or something on, on, on Dubplate. And maybe two or three months later, you go on the record store and the Messenger album came out and oh, there goes that song I heard in this clash from Jaro like last year. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes like it's two or three years later, man. Like, yeah, sometimes it's even later. Especially like on an acapella intro for certain yeah, tunes. Man. They would just put out some lyrics that would be like released on 45 like three years later. <laughs> exactly. And that's because, you know, back then, you know, you didn't have YouTube and you didn't have, that was like the main way for the artists to really get their music out. They had to kind of use the sound systems as that platform, you know, but now the business has kind of changed, you know, to where they don't really need sound systems like that, quote unquote, per se. Well, I won't say they don't need them, but they don't need them in that capacity. You know, this, you know, they can put out their own music on YouTube and stuff like that now, but and people have access to it. But the sound systems would just be more about creating a buzz for the songs they have out versus being the outlet for brand new music. But I think what happens is that what because of the way it is now, it kind of alienates younger people from really being interested in clashing because it's like it's more about older music and you know there's this trend of using the older rhythms and stuff like that. Whereas you know back then it was like whatever the hot rhythm was, you'd hear like 80 songs on it on every clash. You know what I mean? Like if it was Pepper Seed, or if it was the Frog rhythm, or if it was Superstar, or you know the Stink rhythm, or whatever Showtime. I mean, I remember I used to, when Showtime came out, I remember I used to have whole cassettes and like half of it would be Showtime dubs. Like the sounds would play it twice, 20 songs on it, not even the 45s, <laughs> period, you know what I'm saying? But it's not like that now, you know? So, you know, the, the, the model of this changed and I think because of that, the people that are like young now, you know, they're not really into clashing as much because there's not really much in it to appeal for them. It's really more of a nostalgia thing for people that are like in their 30s and 40s that still remember like that era from the 90s, you know what I mean? And then I think the other thing too is that, you know, you don't have the sounds that are popular now, they're, they're frankly, they're afraid to clash because they're scared of losing, they're scared of losing whatever little reputation or dates, so I don't know what it is. But frankly, that's what it is. They are afraid to compete. Where back in the day, there was, you didn't have that fear. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, it's like a clash could happen at any point in time. Even if it was a juggling dance, a man could just throw some words at you and you had to answer back. So you didn't really have that fear. You know, that, that, that competition was built into the business. But now, you know, if a sound knows that a sound is popular, he knows that it's the next selector that don't like him, he'll call a promoter and be like, yo, I don't want to play with the people, yo. Don't put them on the car. Her. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, that kind of stuff is whack. So it's like they've kind of taken all the competition out. So none of the juggling sounds really want to get involved with clashing, but they're the ones that kind of need to be involved with it because they're right. the ones that have the fans. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that's why when clashes keep, it's like 95% sound men and like old people. It's very few young people that are really into clashes like that. And that's why, you know, shameless plug, that's why we, in Atlanta, we try to do like the new level, next level, top level clashes, that, that series that we started there. And we try to put sounds in it that might not have a whole lot of dub plays or even like a lot of experience clashing, but they're just interested. Because at the end of the day, everybody likes the competition, but it's just trying to encourage people to say, yo man, just do it dog. Like at the end of the day, you have talent. You know what I'm saying? It's not as hard as you think. And even if you lose, as long as you play good, you still win. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's really nothing to be afraid of. You know what I mean? But you know, nobody wants to lose. I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But those are the things that I think are part of, part of the problem especially in Atlanta and that's what you know we've tried to from entering some of the clashes to even throwing our own clashes and stuff like that we're trying to do our part to try to like 
alleviate some of that, you know? Yeah, man. So, I mean, that's kind of where it is. But, yeah, U.S. Rumble and, you know, whatever other little out-of-town clashes that pop up, you know, as long as the price is right and we can afford it, we'll do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's pretty much all. Good to is. hear. Good to hear. Yeah, you know, Edgar is going to, he's going to rally for you guys. You know, he's going to represent you. I'm already, I'm already thinking about GoFundMe, you know, campaigns. <laughs> Listen, man, I'll take whatever. <laughs> well, look. I'll turn down the free money, so. I have a, a good example that somehow came into mind when you were just talking on that last answer that you gave. So let me ask you, what mm-hmm. what is the best attended sound clash that you recall in Atlanta? Hmm. That's a very good question. Let me think. And the best one, um, man, like one of the best ones I can remember, honestly, was the clash that we had. Oh, back in 2000, whenever that was, that was Atlanta oh, Cup Clash, huh? Yeah, that thing was packed. So, and that's the reason I asked you that question because yeah, Khalil knew the answer. <laughs> <laughs> that was a test. Okay, I get it. No, because you know, if I say it, then people are gonna be like, oh, you know. Yeah, you're by mine. Are you trying to be? Mine, too I'm, short I'm blowing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So, is no recommendation. So yeah. now that clash, it kind of had the elements that you were talking about. And we've been talking about some of these core elements of dancehall sound system. So, you know, you guys started before we did in Atlanta. Then we came on the scene, right? 98, um, 99 and on. And, you know, we both, we played on a lot of the same stages, many times in the same parties, in the same clubs. And you guys always had your fans. We always had our fans. And like, we kind of had like diehard Factions, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, we definitely did. And even with Unity, and like, Unity as well. Yeah, it, it really was like that's why that clash was so successful because it's like we were all, all three of us were like probably some of, I mean, we weren't the only ones, but we were some of the most active sounds at the time. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like you put a clash on, it's like, wow, like I see these guys all the time. They really want to clash. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is something that's like, different you know what I mean because they see us juggling all the time but they've never really seen us in that competitive spirit so it's like everybody wants to see what's gonna happen right but you know sounds that are in a clash people have to care about them right you see the name has to mean something to people if it doesn't mean something to people then what's the point of having a clash like why have a clash and there's only gonna be 20 people there what's the point yeah you know what I mean that, that that's you know so sometimes we get asked to clash certain people and I'm like for what like if you wanna just you know spar and I just come to your living room when you come to mine and we just play some music and we just talk some smack. That's one thing. But you actually want me to like spend money and, and, and go through all of this and nobody's making any money. Like the promoter isn't going to make any money. So I can't even look at him and be like, yo, pay me two grand. I'm not going to do that because I know he won't make it because nobody wants to see us clashing. You know, whoever this other sound XYZ might be because y'all don't have no fans. Nobody don't care about y'all. And it's not a diss to them. I mean, it is what it is. Like, if you, it's just like if somebody calls us and says, yo, King AP, I want you to go clash in like Milwaukee or something. You don't have a name in Milwaukee. So I wouldn't look at that person and be like, yo, give me a five grand and all. You know what I mean? It's like the first question I would ask is like, why do you want us to clash there? We don't, you know, <laughs> like, what are you trying to accomplish? You know what I mean? But that's the reality of what it is. So from a promotion standpoint, you know, you need to put on something where it's something that's a fight that people want to see. It's just like boxing. You know what I mean? Like, people don't put on, you're not going to book, you know, Madison Square Garden or something for a fight that nobody wants to see. You won't sell no seats. You know what I'm saying? 
So it's like, it's, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing. And I'm sure that, you know, even with boxing, if you're like, you know, Mayweather or something, there's certain fights with people you ain't gonna even take. It's like, nah, bro, you gotta go beat this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and then you come talk to me because at that point now, now you have a buzz. Now I can make some money, you know, if we actually have this fight. And that's how clashes used to be in the day. Like, even if you look at Addies versus John in Jamaica, Addies kept that dance. You know what I'm saying? From what I understand, it's like, even though Addies lost, they laughed all the way to the bank. <laughs> the, whole, the whole Jamaica was in that clash. And it was their clash. So even though they lost, they still won. Now, now let me, you know, you know there's some uh, Addies fans right now that are, like, rolling over in their graves right now because mm. you said that. that, think that. Come on, man. John beat them, dog. <laughs> Come on. Let's, let's just <laughs> let's just keep it real, dog. Jaro right. beat them by the argument that will never end for some reason. Yeah, just let it go, man. I know we're going to be wrapping up soon, but yo, I have a quick question for, for you, man. Like, I know you got like a whole crew of sounds that I believe it's in the Northeast. I heard I heard a mix. It was a very oh, unique yeah. mix. It was like, how many sounds is on that mix, man? Yes, uh, Team Torment family, man. Got Team Torment. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to know, how did y'all do that? Because, yo, every it's it. it Every rhythm, like it seemed like it was all mastered together. Everything yeah. sounded the same level. I just want to say that was the most unique dub mix that I think I've ever heard. Yeah, respect for that, man. Yeah, respect. I mean, a couple of other, I mean, because, you know, now in this day and age, like, you know, you have like a lot of little groupings, like you have Capture Land, like all the WhatsApp groups out there and stuff like that. You know, so Team Torment is like that. But the thing about us now, you know, it's mainly like some New York sounds, Boston sounds, a couple sounds in Connecticut and stuff like that. But you know, we all in Team Torment, like everybody, they do their own events. Like they do a lot of soca events, they do dance hall events. And you know, of that way, like they, everybody kind of travels to each other's stuff, like tracks will come to Connecticut, you know, Ace right. a lot of times, you go up to New York, like they go to Boston and stuff like that. So, you know, everybody kind of supports everybody's events. And sometimes they come down when we have stuff down here, like beer vibes and whatnot, and I usually try to go up. So, you know, it's more than just us, just, being in a chat room, you know, playing dubs on WhatsApp and just talking smack. Like, we actually try to throw events together and, like, pool our resources and we try to do stuff differently. But the way we did that mix is basically we just decided, like, hey, you know, we should all just pick some rhythms that we all kind of have songs on and everybody's just going to, like, basically set up a Dropbox folder and drop an one or two dub on the rhythm and we just kind of put it all together and, um, my boy Killer Mike from Prodigy Sounds in Miami, he mixed the whole thing and mastered it and all that. And he just made it sound seamless, man. It sounds like Yeah, <laughs> man. That was that was amazing, yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a great job with that mix, man. Right time. Oh, yeah. Big up Killer Any which part today, you know? Prodigy Sound. Definitely wanna big you up, man. You know what I'm saying? In a real life and yeah, no doubt. it's not enough unity in, in the business. There's not enough um like dialogue like this and this is one of the reasons we started this podcast to kind of demystify some of the stuff that goes on right. and you know have the ability to you know to salute some of the people that that have been in the business um that have been successful that have been doing it the right way um yeah. you know i think a lot of people listening going to be able to learn a lot from this conversation so thank you so much for for everything that you do that have been doing for the business in general and also for Atlanta and thanks for joining us on, on regular Level podcast man yeah no problem man definitely my pleasure man I appreciate the invite um, 
I definitely appreciate, you know, you guys. I mean, because I look at you guys as legends too, man. I mean, you know, I don't know how long we've been talking an hour, so I could easily turn this conversation around and talk to you guys for the same length about the different things that you're that you've done from where I seen you guys start to the different things that between you, like all three of you guys have evolved into, you know, from Super Peck to a guard to yourself, Khalil, you know. So it's like that's a whole that's another conversation <laughs> you know, that we could yeah, have. Man. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it, we all kind of started this business as kids and we all grew into it. You know what I mean? So it's definitely nice to be able to kind of talk about it with somebody that kind of grew up with you. You know what I mean? And, you know, just kind of go over some of the stuff. And yeah, I mean, hopefully somebody could listen and kind of learn, you know, from some of the stuff we went through and, you know, maybe get some ideas or where to take it. Because, you know, it's up to the next generation now to take it to the next level. You know what I mean? So definitely, definitely, man. I want to say shout out for um, all the parties y'all be throwing, man, because I know this was a heavy, heavily sound system kind of conversation. But, you know, as the seasons change, you know, there's a beer vibes coming up. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and there's going to be drunkness and, and partying. So, yeah, yeah. Crazy. When, yeah. When's the next one? Yeah, beer vibes. The next one is July 20th. So it's coming up in about a month. You know, we have Reggae Matic now, which is the carnival band that we put. This is our second year on the road. But that was a success. You know, we got the stuff in Connecticut, the Juve parties. And yeah, man. So, you know, we're just trying to just corner the whole market, man. Every aspect, man. Horizontal horizontal and vertical monopoly. You know, that way I try to deal with, you know what I mean? So, yeah, man. I just done. Live, live. So tell uh, everyone how they can link up with the King AP crew and follow you guys and bookings and all that kind of stuff. I no doubt. So um, you can hit me up on all social media just add King AP Sound Twitter um, Instagram my Facebook you can look up Father James F-A-D-D-A-J-I-N-X I'll come right up my phone number is already public so 678-923-1981 email kingap.music at gmail.com any one of those avenues very easy um, to get us same thing with SoundCloud MixCloud we have mixes and stuff out there. Um, most of the beer vibes mixes that we do, promo mixes that we do for other people, we throw up on our SoundCloud. Our clashes are up there too. So, yeah, I mean, we're out there. At King AP Sound, we'll get you the most of it. Or at Father Jenks. So just look for us, man. We're there. Yeah, man. Respect, yo. Thanks again, man. And, and, and big up Randy too, man. Yeah, I got a big up Randy's Randy. another old veteran. Yeah, <laughs> Randy actually was in the business before I, before either one of us got here. I met Randy here. He was playing a different sound. I didn't even get to talk about that, but yeah, yeah, I know. There's so much to talk King about. Yeah. a lot, man. Yeah, can you Yeah, man. <laughs> From them time to now, so yeah, got a big up Randy. Got a big up Ace. Got a big up Carlston, and definitely got a big up. You know, all of the selectors from I said, Lion Chef, Kurt, Junior, all of the people that passed through and put on their work on the sound, man, because everybody really, you know, did their part as far as helping to paint that, you know, the tapestry, you know? So, um, yeah, man. Yeah, it's just, you know, trying to keep the legacy going, man. So, definitely want to give thanks to them for the work they put in. And thanks again to you guys for giving me the platform, you know, to talk about some of this stuff. So, make old man feel good, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, man, how you mean, man? It's a feel good, man. So, Yo, big up yourself big up to the whole family you know what I'm saying niceupradio.com family big ups thank you for listening we got a little something special we got a, a little more, more time you know we've been talking about the dub plate thing so you know we're gonna throw on some uh, uh, some quick dub mixes real quick so you can hear a little something out to the old box yeah man catch you next week Monday as well all the regular lover listeners worldwide thank you so much for tuning in 
This is a dedication to you, reggae lovers everywhere, on behalf of the whole Highlander Sound and King AP team. It's had a nice talk, man. You know what I mean? Come on. History. Definitely. All right. So until next time, Master and crew, bless up. All right, bless up, everybody. For booking of Highlander Sound, 404-552-0492 or email reggaeloverpodcast at gmail.com. Visit Highlander Sound on the web at reggaelover.com. Follow at H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D-A on Twitter. Follow at K-A-H-L-I-L-W-O-N-D-A on Instagram. And like Facebook.com slash Highlander Music for more information. So let's take a break to talk about one of our great sponsors. I tell you what, I was listening to an audio book about Bob Marley on Audible entitled So Much Things to Say. Mm-hmm. It's an oral history written and performed by Roger Steffens. He spent time down in Jamaica interviewing everybody, including Marley and everybody that was around him. So I'm talking Rita Marley, Skill Cole film crews that were down filming him, you know, all the members of the Whalers. He's having these conversations and these interviews that he also collected while he was doing the radio shows. He put all this information into a book. What's so great about it is it just immerses you into the experience, quoting Pita, Bunny, the incidents that happened with Bob getting shot, the concert when he brings the two political leaders on stage. And so you really get the excitement, the energy of what is going on. That book right there, I strongly recommend it to any reggae lover, anybody that's into Bob Marley, and we have a special deal. Go to Audible and get a free book, free trial of Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover, and there you can grab a free copy of this book. And the reason why I like Audible is because I like to learn new things, but sometimes I don't have time to read a book. I don't have time to sit there and leaf through the pages because I got work to do. So I like to listen to books in the car. If I'm riding a bike, just taking a walk in the neighborhood. There's so many different ways that you can actually learn new information or be entertained. You know, me personally, I like nonfiction. I like biographical stuff. So Audible is a great tool to use in order to take in that information and still go along with your day. Audible, they have the best narrators. You know, you're able to keep where you're at in the book. It's a very convenient way to take in new information and be entertained. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover. So much things to say. The title by Roger Steffens, Oral History of Bob Marley.